0: Okay, great. Great to see you here today. I have some amazing, amazing guests. My friend, Dave Luna, who's one of the top security experts in the world, especially in the areas of listed trade and others. And I must say, David, I've never seen anybody LinkedIn that comes out 20 pages (laughs) in my life. It's incredible. So great to have you on the show today. Um, And also my friend, Rick Orloff. Rick, is amazing cybersecurity guru. He is a former top security officer of Apple Computer, eBay, and has consulted governments and corporations around the world. And it's with great, great honor that I welcome both of you uh, to the show today. My name is Gary Fowler, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've done 16 companies. I've been involved in two unicorns and an IPO. I love artificial intelligence. I've written almost 90 articles over the last year, actually like 89 articles over the last year, just love it. And I believe this is the greatest opportunity for companies that wanna go global because of this digital transformation. So it's with honor that I welcome two of the top experts in cybersecurity and security from around the world here today. So welcome guys. And I'd like to start off with Rick, Tell us a little bit about your background, Rick. So for the audience, if you could dive in a little bit deeper.
1: Yeah, if if I actually start towards the beginning, uh, I actually started off running my own private investigation agency in California and was working uh, just corporate work on Silicon Valley with companies like Oracle Microsoft and things. And it came to the belief that the future would be about data, not about the traditional things I was doing. And ended up moving into high tech uh, and started building programs from a cyber perspective, but with the lens of an investigator. And so that actually turned out pretty well. I ended up uh, getting lucky uh, in that I was right. It did turn out to be about data and ended up working for companies like Lamb Research and Apple and uh, a few others building building programs and uh, solving problems.
0: That's great. It's great to have you here today. Look forward to diving a bit deeper. David, you know, the, like I said, the guy is the only time I've ever downloaded uh, LinkedIn. It's 20 pages. <laughs> so I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. You're just robust. So you're a diplomat, you know, you consult governments and corporations. So tell us a little bit about yourself and and um, give the audience a background. That would be great.
2: Sure. Well it's great to be here, Gary, and thank you um, for allowing me the opportunity to share more about my experience on fighting transnational threats. I, I grew up in El Paso, Texas, a small town and along the border. And I was lucky enough to get a scholarship to attend the University of Pennsylvania where I started as a pre-med and then later became a pre-law. But, you know, early on in my life I was also interested about history and you know, cultures. And as I transition from the science education to more the pre-law uh, bachelor, uh, science uh, history major, you know, I, I, I wanted to um, really work, you know, across communities to solve problems, you know, to get stuff done, right? And as I went to law school, you know, learn you know, how to train to be an attorney and think more analytical about solving some of today's challenges. I um, was clerking at a law firm and you know, I, that, that path wasn't too exciting for me. And um, so I, you know, papered the hill and was lucky enough to get a job with the US Banking Committee where I started doing special investigations looking into corruption and criminal issues. From there, you know, went on to the White House, where I became one of the other attorneys under uh, the administration. Mm. Went on to the U.S. Department of Labor, the State Department, where I, I spent close to 20 years working on, you know, strengthening our U.S. national security and our foreign policies under four administrations. Uh, the first six months of uh, President Trump, um, focusing more on fighting corruption, organized crime, and, and terrorism, especially in the Post 9/11 world, um, you know, I think these issues are becoming these threats are becoming uh, more um, prominent and really har- harming not only governments and and our economies, but markets and, and citizens and communities all around the world. So in short, you know, that was. You know, Mike. Wow, mean, that's, that's, I mean,
0: you've gone from Texas to University of Pennsylvania to law school to the White House for administrations, not a bad deal. So I mean, if you look at it today, David, you know, what are the biggest challenges that we're facing today from your own perspective? Where are the what kind of threats are out there and and you know, how can companies react better? How can companies and governments react better? What do you see?
2: Yeah, so that's a great question, you know, on on, on how the private sector and and companies can really work with governments to, again, address this whole array of very complex security threats, right? Not only as it relates to, you know, whether it be human rights, uh, whether it be terrorism, uh, rogue states, you know, looking to acquire weapons of mass destruction, you know, these challenges are, are very difficult. Um, In recent years, um, as you mentioned, I've been working on fighting the illicit trade um, where, again, uh, partners across sectors are being harmed. Mm -hmm. Not only, you know, through the loss of revenue uh, for governments or, you know, dealing with really dangerous counterfeits like counterfeit medicines um, or toxic food or or, or toys that have really deadly chemicals as part of um, their production, Right. Um, So, you know, it is a danger to uh, our citizens, uh, people all around the world, uh, but for for companies, you know, it's a brand protection, right? It's it's market reputational um, type of issues, risk Mm -hmm. management, um, but brand integrity as well. And it's important, you know, to work through public-private partnerships to really do these disruptions and dismantling, um, not only getting... The really bad products out of the markets and supply chains but going after the criminals who are behind a lot of the counterfeit so that again we can protect our communities from a public health safety and um, in fact during COVID 19 there's been a lot of fake and counterfeit ppe personal protection equipment you know fake medicines uh so again it's not only the economic wow. harm it's a public health and safety and and, and you know, i think uh, companies, um, not only pharmaceuticals, but again, uh, when you're talking about ca- counterfeits, it's all sectors that get harmed um, as the bad guys counterfeit their their products.
0: Wow. That's amazing. So with the PPE, what is it? Mass, hu- hydrochloroquinine what kind of stuff? I mean, what's so all happening? of
2: that? You know, if, if there's money to be made, the bad guys will engage in this criminality and, you know, <laughs> yeah. Without any remorse, you know, of whether people die or not,
0: right? So it's all of that. I mean, I was thinking to myself, you know, if it's, you're, you're out there, uh, paper mass, I mean, when they're charging 50 to 100 bucks a box at the height of the pandemic, it wouldn't be a rocket scientist to say, listen, I got a paper plant, let me do some conversions. But, you know, you're saying that they're they're uh, counterfeit and not good. I mean, that's kind of scary, right? Especially with medicine.
1: Hey, Gary, I, I can tell you, you know, having spent a fair amount of time in the supply chain in other countries, including China, that when, when they start looking at counterfeiting uh, masks or whatever it is, their view is really, it's no different than how we perceive uh, doing five miles an hour over the speed limit. It's not a big deal. They don't, they don't, there, there's no remorse. We don't have remorse when we speed a little bit. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, some of the supply chain where they get involved in counterfeiting, uh, it, they really do have the same view. They're just out to you know make a buck like anybody else. And yet you know, to David's point, does not matter whether or not it's electronics yeah. or medicine or masks or anything else. I, I remember being in China. Uh, <laughs> I remember being in China and buying on the on the street market there an iphone this back when i worked at apple uh i bought an iphone with one of those like 1980s extendable antennas on it that they were selling on the street (laughs) it it, it was amazing i I bought it i brought it back and uh i told the company that we're losing out on features uh they they did not find that funny at all by the way
2: but you know rick uh, that's a very good point because you know it's people all you know always think about you know Um, counterfeit Nike uh, Nike shoes or or the Apple phones. Um, But, you know, Boeing and Ford, you know, when it comes to counterfeit and the fact of auto parts or plane parts, now you start getting into the harms to passengers and civilian um, airline uh, transportation, but really the military as well and their fighter jets or various um, equipments that they have. You know, it's, and, and the thing, the scary part, it's increasing. If you look at the overall illicit trade over the past five years, it has almost doubled in terms of a dollar value. we yeah, you know, across I, a lot I, of these in, industries, we're talking tens of billions of dollars a year um, across apparel, electronics, uh, you know, again, shoes, um, perfumes, watches, uh, medicines it's, it's just very profitable for, uh, it, for the pandemic. Yeah,
1: it, it it used to be that we would look at, uh, it, it, and I, I didn't mention it in my intro, but you know, I've done a lot of things uh, in the counterterrorism space as well, and it used to be that we would look at counterfeit electronics and things that might impact national security as linear problem, a linear growth. Right. And today when we look at it is exponential, right? It's no longer growing just a little bit each year. They are, you know, it is leapfrogging in huge chunks. And yeah. it's it, it a it's a problem that can be solved, but I don't believe as of today uh, it's being solved. It's a solvable problem. Yeah. It's just the right people with the right authority are not being put into place to address it.
0: Let's
1: try it. Go ahead, Gary.
0: Sorry. No, no. I mean, it's you know. I heard this story. I don't know if it's true, but somebody told me in some countries they actually will have multiple. They'll have a production line. Well, they'll run you whatever you want, and then they run some extra for themselves. Hundred percent. Is that true? Yeah.
1: 100 Hundred, hundred percent. In fact, if you have a production, uh, you know, say, say a company is building a widget, whatever that happens to be. Uh, if you're not selling or producing enough of those widgets to require production on the line to run in three shifts meaning 24/7 so if if your order is only for is only going to cover two shifts they're going to run a third shift anyway right and then and then mm-hmm. they're going to you know sell that stuff off
0: so they sell right. the same stuff yeah <laughs> that's yeah.
1: crazy yeah and well, i used I-, I used to go buy it right i would buy it to prove it to then track back to you know where it came from Mm -hmm. and so they sell that stuff out the other the other thing is they sell off uh, depending on your quality control procedures and this again yet to david's point this applies to whether or not it's medicine or an electronic widget right Mm -hmm. and so if you have uh, a quality control program and you say hey these things here don't don't pass they're no good Right. Mm -hmm. So set them aside. Depending on what country you're manufacturing in, the manufacturer cannot destroy those until they get approval from the local government. And in actuality, what really happens is the things that you said were no good that you don't want on the market to protect your brand or whatever it is, gets sold out the back door onto the gray market or the black market. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, Rick, you mentioned the issue of, of, of terrorism. Right. So. It is so darn profitable these days that a lot of terrorist groups are really getting into, you know, into the illicit trade for mm-hmm. financing their their infrastructure, their operations, and to conduct yeah. terrorist attacks them overseas. So, you know, whether it's Hezbollah in the tri-border in South America to, you know, Al Qaeda in the Maghreb, you know, and illicit cigarettes is, is, is a major source for mm-hmm. for funding. Uh, some of these um, uh, terrorist groups, but it's all over. I mean, it's it's Boko Haram. You know, uh, w- hopefully we'll get a little bit later into human trafficking and wildlife trafficking. But Al-Shabaab, you know, engaging in the sale of charcoal in, in, across illicit markets. And, you know, of course, you know, during the time that ISIS had its speak in Iraq and Syria, they were engaging in a lot of um, illicit uh, uh, crimes to sustain... Yeah you know, their, their, their operations and, and control in that part of the world. But it's it's very global. I mean, it's not only South America or the Middle East or Sub-Saharan Africa. I mean, it, it's occurring in Southeast Asia where a lot of these groups like Abusa and Sayap are, are really engaged. in a lot of them, um, illicit behaviors. Um, to well,
0: how do, how do, do we stop this stuff, guys? I mean, what do we well, do, right? What do we do? Well, it's tough it, going.
1: <laughs> it's a, it's, you know, to David's point, right? The, the terrorist organizations, they look at the world as, uh, you know, kind of, kind of twofold. A, uh, I'll do anything to make money in order to, you know, without a moral compass in order to, you know, further my cause. And B, how do I further my cause? Mm-hmm. Right. It is um, it's very, it, it it's very dangerous.
2: So from my perspective, you know, there's
1: many things
2: that, the international community can do uh, not only governments but working with the private sector, and you know, obviously we'll get into um, technology and, and, the, uh, and certain capabilities to try to disrupt and dismantle not only the illicit trade but you know the bad actors, but you know the complicity. Of, so fighting corruption is incredibly, you know, incredibly important because in in, in a lot of um, um, jurisdictions that produce some of these counterfeits, you do have high level corruption and enabling that criminality to to begin with. So it's important to fight corruption and so it's important to go after the dirty money as well, right? Mm-hmm. The threat finance, the money laundering uh-huh. part of it. Um, but you know sharing information across borders is critical. Sharing information across sectors um, is very important. Uh, Because the private sector who have boots in the ground in a lot of these markets can be developing the the intelligence uh, through data collection Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to develop intelligence packages for here in the United States, you know, for the IPR center, for example, or to the FBI or the DHS, Homeland Security Investigations, HSI or CBP, if if there's a drug, narcotics angle, the DEA, so there's, you know, this information sharing is is important not only to protect the U.S. homeland and our national security, but to work with our partners to similarly ha- help them uh, to attack uh, these, uh, these these threats uh, to to their economies
1: and people. That's Hundred percent, hundred percent agree with that. You yeah, here's another way to look at it. The information is there and available to improve our security posture and detect and prevent these types of attacks and and other types of threats. The question then becomes, how well are we sharing that information or are we sharing it at all? And, and if we're not doing a good job sharing that information, then we have to move left in the kill chain and say, well, why aren't we sharing this information? And then you get into some political friction.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with political that. Political friction because we're not sharing information? Or because we should share the information?
1: I, I'm saying that the information is there that would improve <coughs> our, our posture to be able to detect and prevent terrorism. Yep. Uh, but that we don't share all the information that is available.
0: Ah, I see. Okay. Interesting. Okay. You know, we so don't share
2: enough. You know, I agree. We don't share enough. Right. And of course we got to develop the trust, you know, between, you know, communities to share that information and, you know, not even getting into the whole privacy issue. Right? You know, being able, the information is there in, 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 in some form. Uh, but again, doing it in a way that is, actionable, becomes critical, but Correct. really engendering that trust. Yeah, between private sector to private sector or private sector to government um, is, is, is critically, critically important.
1: So so when we talk about information, we I mean, so what inform what information you know, is Rick and David talking about, right? Mm-hmm. The information we're talking about is the stuff that we would define as meaningful and actionable. And when you identify a data source or data repository uh repository and say hey look that data is meaningful and actionable for a variety of different reasons mm-hmm. that's when you get into kind of a, a political football
0: interesting so guys listen i have a lot of startups that look at this show and they just every day i talk to them about security I have incredible companies from around the world that are looking at going global. So it always comes up security and privacy all the time. And I know Rick, we've uh, you know, with companies we've been involved in uh, before and also with David, you know, it comes up all the time. So what is it? I mean, it's, you know, I, I write in an article on quantum computing actually it will come out uh, finish it today and uh, cybersecurity. So, What is happening today from your perspective in terms of um, uh, cybersecurity? I know we've talked about honeypots before and, you know, some of the things that uh, not in terms of physical, but in terms of the cyber Mm -hmm. side. But I mean, what is it? I mean, what where is it today? And, you know, startups are concerned about it. It always comes up as a question. Are you protecting my security? What can they do? Either either one of you. what, What do you think?
1: David, do you want to go or you want, you want me uh, to go? I
2: think you have the better expertise when it comes to the cyber. You know, I'll, I'll reinforce some of the points. That you yeah, had.
1: OK, fair enough. Uh, it, you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of what is occurring today when we talk about uh, a, a company having a security program, uh, you know, usually the, the things that they're most concerned about is what's going to get me in trouble from a regulatory compliance standpoint. Mm-hmm. So that's your, your GRC angle, right? Governance, risk, and compliance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, in part, right, a lot of what they're required to do is the same things that they should have been doing years ago, except now if they don't do it, there's some teeth behind it. And I think that the focus is you know, really, uh, um, all of your activity, all your transactions within your business, mm-hmm. are you authenticating? Uh, do you have authorization and attribution of all of the activity that's going? And then the next piece to that is all of the data that you might have on an individual, right? So PI, personally identifiable information, right? All of that data that you might have needs to be architected in a way that if an individual says, I, I want to be forgotten, Right, That's kind mm-hmm. of a GDR, uh, GDPR mm-hmm. term. I want to be okay. forgotten. You need to be able to delete inf- uh, your the data that you have on mm-hmm. the individuals that are in your database. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing kind of those two things, and there's lots of pieces to that, right? lots of moving parts. But if you're doing those two things, you can probably stay out of trouble. And then the other angle, uh, if you start looking at uh, does the technology or does the logic scale with like a, a publicly traded company, mm-hmm uh yeah you know, the, <laughs> the way i look at it uh when we're trying to figure out what are we going to protect uh i ask kind of two questions one if this goes badly uh, is my ceo going to have to lean into a microphone and make a statement mm-hmm. if the answer is yes we should fix that problem mm-hmm. the other the other question i ask is okay if this thing goes badly is it going to change the valuation of the company if the mm-hmm. answer is yes we should fix that problem All other problems are are probably lower level.
0: I got it. Interesting. And what about, so I know, David, you're working on, you're working with uh, companies, uh, startups and companies. What are the kind of the hot things right now that really get your attention? So if you look at, oh, that's really cool stuff, and that's something that I want to grab a hold of, what kind of things are interesting for you? Computer vision or, you know, um, encrypted messaging? I mean, what kind of things really say this is really cool and this is going to help us with uh, illicit trade and, you know, missing or exploited children or, or those kind of what do you th- what do you see? What kind of technology?
2: Yeah, so all of that, right? All, all, all of those technologies, but really putting it together um, in a very integrated way that that is done smartly, right? It, you know, I, I look at the illicit markets from a, a prism of convergence, right? Because mm-hmm. The corruption fuels the criminality, um, organized crime, and illicit trade fuels insecurity and stability. So it's important to, to really leverage what we call in the U.S. government um, the whole of government, the dime approach, using diplomacy, intelligence, military, law enforcement, you know, economic sanctions. Um, so to, you know, using or adopting that approach. You know, with the Internet of, of, of Things, right? It's important to start connecting, and and you know, uh, Rick makes a good point on the privacy issue. Um, uh, but you know, this is where the trust again comes into perspective because I think if we can smartly build what I think, for example, IRAC's AI is, is 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 aiming to do. It. Not only you know with the infectious diseases and looking at COVID-19 or crowd you know, management as it relates to arenas and sports, but if we begin to look at at markets and communities, leveraging not only machine learning and AI, but marrying it with with cameras, with biometrics, with facial recognition, uh, with drone technology, robotics. If we can start doing that, you know, I think we can start, you know, to really um, attack and target the bad guys more aggressively, not to eliminate crime. I don't think that's ever going to happen, but to really lower, uh, mitigate a lot of these threats and, and, and risk. And, you know, again, if, if, if we're able to do some, you know, develop these multifunctional, um, uh, holistic, uh, technologies, you know, not only can we identify some of the hotspots, identify some of the bad actors, uh, for example, in human trafficking, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking, um, across the interstates, the interstates, um, looking at hotels, looking at airports to really, um, both identify some of the missing persons some of the victims who are being trafficked uh, but really the bad guys as well and then by developing these um heat maps we can i i you know kind of predict for some of these locations although they're very smart and savvy they're always changing you know their modus operandi but Mm -hmm. we can begin to narrow you know the search um, to, again, enhance the disruption, and, 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 and to follow the money as well um, by, again, smartly uh, employing all these technologies to, to disrupt the finance. So, you know, I think it's exciting. You know, when I hear transformational technologies, I think it's great. The potential is enormous, and we just got to you know, develop and, and connect a lot of these ways that are done ethically, that are done legally, and that are done in a very pragmatic way.
0: No, that's fantastic. Rick, do you have anything to add?
1: Yeah, David it raises a really, really good point. Yeah, uh, you know, kind of ties some things together. You know, he mentioned uh, IREX, right? The, the you know, technology in that company that uh, we've looked at before. When I look at that, uh, at their capabilities, I think that is absolutely fantastic. And then i think about that and it's like i would really like to take those other technology and capabilities and data stores and marry it up with that type of capability Uh, for example i've done things where we you know created and built a geospatial engine right taking a couple of these uh, technologies that are just fantastic and tying those together allows us to have the type of capability that david's talking about
0: well, oh, that's great! I mean, I and you look at it today. We had uh, Samir Sharma from uh, uh, Intel, who's ahead of the Internet of Things. I mean, it's there's a huge opportunity, right? I mean, look at the. Do you remember? I don't even know. I don't buy milk anymore, but I remember on the milk and they had uh, missing kids on the milk cart. Yeah, right. I don't know if they still do it or not because I don't buy, <laughs> buy milk anymore. But yeah, I mean, this is sure. like. I mean, I'm I'm a country boy from Pennsylvania, but for me. If, it, if it, you go into a uh, top retailer, Target or Walmart, and say, listen, can we use your cameras? We're going to look for missing, exploited children because they may come in there. I mean, you might have a home run with yeah. this, right? Yeah. And, totally. and, you know, people talk about the negative side on the side of it, but on the positive side of humanity, being able to just help that. I just saw, what, two weeks ago, there's 45 kids in Ohio and then another 25 somewhere on the East Coast. I mean, that, and I'm sure that's a tip of the iceberg, but, I mean, just that is worth it, right? Yeah, and then when
2: you look at it from hotels, truck stops, you know, restaurants, malls, you know, then you can start again uh, through AI and machine learning and facial recognition, identifying more, you know, the victims first and foremost, but then, you know, trying to investigate and prosecute, you know, all those, you know, uh, human traffickers so- and other
1: bad actors. So those are both great examples of when we talk about is the data meaningful and actionable. There's a huge difference when you're investigating or you deal dealing with uh, mission exploited children. There's a huge difference between saying, yeah, sure, I have a photo or here's a short video clip of of a, a child that was here a week ago. Right. That that is a good data point. Right. But meaningful and actionable is. You've got AI built into the system. You're alerted in real time that this missing child is in the store. Meaningful and natural means I can go call the police or uh, leverage security to you know, kind of hold that child there real time and have her recovered. So, I mean, we different- have your
0: parking lot cameras, right? Take a picture yeah. of the license plate. Yeah. And then you start to understand a lot about, you know, and the person that's actually driving the car, I mean, our truck. That's an amazing situation, but I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Again, I'm a country boy from Pennsylvania, but why aren't we doing that today? Why hasn't that happened? Because it doesn't seem like this is like rocket science. Yeah. Just,
1: David, I'll let, I'll let you take that one.
2: Well, look, you, you know, uh, perhaps not enough good people have been thinking about this. I mean, it is a resource intensive. Um, and again, there's ethical legal issues that one has to overcome. But there is no reason why, for example, IRAX. AI and other, you know, companies there in Silicon Valley cannot be partnering with the FBI more, right. with DHS, with the state and local police, because the beauty of this thing, Gary, is as you were, you know, beginning to to allude to, if you began to do the overlays, right, not only looking at human trafficking in some of these hotspots, some of the people who are engaging in that illicit activity are also engaged in the, you know, trafficking of fentanyl that is really mm-hmm. disseminating a lot of American communities and killing mm-hmm. a lot of um, young kids. Um, if you look again at some of the trafficking as it relates to a counterfeit, right, and begin to overlay you know that data, then you can even go more, um, you can do more targeting in these specific communities because you are um, again, having a richer data um, set. Mm-hmm. Um, and now with you know data analytics, you can start you know mapping out all of the uh, network that is involved in a lot of these criminalities that would help, again, um, not only the big cities where there's more resources, but the mm-hmm. smaller cities, the rural towns who don't have um, those investments to be able to really more robustly attack um, the, you
0: know various illicit trade activities No, i think i mean this this is the time right so now's the time and the technology's there you can agnostically use cameras you know retailers i mean if you just took some of the top retailers uh and truck stops as you said david imagine what how big of a uh swath that would be i mean that would be an incredible amount of coverage and you're right time then you start tying all these databases together you right. to identify the bad guy and that our lady and that bad lady could be somebody that's involved in a whole lot of other different things, but you know, it's a critical problem. And it's like, it's, it seems like it would be a great time for those retailers for humanity to make a change and have systems like that in place for truck stops to go out and to be able to put them in place for hotels, right. To be able to use their existing cameras and have it in place. Why not? If it's going to save one child's life, keep them from getting, you know, abused, it's a great thing to have, you know, and if we have the controls on the system to say, you know, some type of oversight, this is the right stuff to do. I think it's, you know, it's the time. We're talking about it. There's action about it. I know I've gotten a few calls personally from folks that are, are from the government that are exploring technology, but it is the time and imagine the possibilities If we're going to have a smart city. Why don't we have an intelligent city? that's able to have this kind of technology up to be able to life a little bit better, right? So truly, as I remember, protect and serve.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the technology and the capability are here, right? It, it's yeah. a matter of whether yeah. or not uh, the different companies want to participate in a program. Uh, it, it's a bit of a federated model, if you would, right? Where you know, things it's cross-functional. Uh, and part of the challenge you know, with the, from a company perspective, and I understand it, is what is their risk, right? If I'm going to go expose my cameras and other things you know, outside of my own uh, domain, uh, what's their risk model? What's their risk posture? And depending on who the decision makers are determines how much risk they're willing to uh, absorb. But it, it boils down to a question of uh, corporate risk.
2: Yeah, but this is where you began to incentivize as well. Agreed. You know, a a yes. lot of these um, companies, because again, this is, you know, gets me to collective action, right? If, if, if Walmart, you know, could be working with Marriott, who could be working with yeah. you know, some of the airlines, you know, then we're leveraging, right? And, and it's not only uh, protecting our people and protecting our economy, protecting our markets and, and, and everyone's reputation, through that collective action, we can enhance greater disruptions and dismantling a lot of the bad guys. And I think, you know, um, it's an exciting time, but now how do we do it, right? And, and, and how do we start encouraging um, a lot of these startups in, in Silicon Valley to start um you know, working across communities to develop these, you know, innovative solutions. And again, I I hope this is an area that, you know, IREX uh, can really lead the market and inspire others, and as it does so, working with many across different industries to do even more.
0: You know, I I mean, just having to be supportive of the startups around the world are doing this, and I know you've mentioned IREX a few times. Uh, That's a great company. And having, but having the two of you supportive of that environment, I mean, that's one step forward for a change, right? So, I mean, Absolutely. you know, I know, um, Rick, we've known each other for years. David, I just met you recently, but I've, uh, I feel like I've known you for years already. And this is a great opportunity. This is a great time. And by the way, startups, this is a great opportunity to grow your business. This is untapped. This is a way to tie not only the U.S., But groups from around the world together. So imagine if all the airports had this type of technology uh, deployed, how many kids we'd be able to find. So it is a step in the right direction. So now we understand the problem. Now we understand there's technology. Now the situation is we need to go down through and convince the right folks to implement it. I mean, I remember when they first started putting the pictures on the uh, milk cartons and they started to talk about it. You know, it took bit of time to do it. But guess what? It was in Walmart stores. It was in grocery stores. Um, Well, imagine if you had the top grocery store chains, then you had the top retailers tied together. How many kids would you find? A lot, probably, right?
1: Yeah. And I don't want to lose the fact, you know, the the point that David was making, and that is, you know, we could have a whole separate show on just how to incentivize and, and tie uh, this together with other companies. There's a whole a whole another strategy uh, in how to incentivize companies to do this that'll both benefit the company, uh, you know, government resources, as well as the technology companies that are playing ball.
2: Yeah, I love one of the points and I agree, Rick, I totally agree with, with your last comment. Uh, the point that you made, Gary, about inspiring, right? All these startups globally, whether they're in Ghana, whether they're in the Philippines, -hmm. Southeast Europe, right? If you look at the breadth and scale of the illicit trade today, and the World Economic Forum, the World Bank, IMF, I mean, they put this at 7 to 15% of of GDP, right? Every year, right? So we're looking at trillions of dollars, right? That is harming governments, um, companies, communities. So the reason I say that is because the potential the demand is there for more innovative solutions. And this yeah. is, you know, the startups are looking to not only make a difference in the world, right, and get stuff done, uh, but the, 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 um, the financial rewards are there because, you know, demand will only increase for these innovative technolo- yeah, technological solutions.
0: No, I agree 100%. Listen, yeah. we're coming to the top of the hour and I just wanted to wrap up. I'd like each one of you, if you could just take a minute and and tell folks where they can reach you and um, you know, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, email, that kind of thing. In closing thoughts, um, I appreciate you taking your time today. So I, I start off with David Rick. What are your closing thoughts and how can people reach you?
1: Yeah, uh, thank you, Gary. Uh, so people can reach me uh, the, the the best way really is on LinkedIn. Uh, if they reach out to me on LinkedIn, Rick Goroff, uh, that that's the easiest way to reach me, and then we can take things from there. Uh, my closing thoughts, you know when I think about the technology and security, uh, I also really tend to focus on the national security opportunity and implications in securing things like the power grid. You know, I look at the vulnerabilities in the power grid. I think that is a very, solvable problem it just we don't have the right people in there solving it
0: yeah great thank you very much appreciate it David
2: yeah so uh, like Rick you, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn David and Luna um, you, you can go to my website Luna Global networks send me some whatever information at info at uh, again you know just from the last uh, discussion there, The potential is amazing, not only from a financial perspective, um, and and again, uh, leveraging smartly and integrating all these technologies can really make a difference from saving children who are being trafficked, to saving the endangered wildlife, to climate change. Um, You know, the threats, as I mentioned earlier, are becoming more um, serious, in some instances more dangerous, and it will be both our innovator um, uh, technology people, but our entrepreneurials, um, who uh, who I think will we'll make will step up to make a bigger difference because governments are not doing it right now. So it's up, you know, to the private sector to to help lead the way.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. And and audience, you've heard the gurus, right? Now's the time. Entrepreneurs drive it. VCs, I know you're listening to the show. This is a great time to invest. Artificial intelligence, computer vision, getting the message out is critically important. These are exciting times. You know, I'm very optimistic. This pandemic has created incredible digital transformational opportunity for each and every one of you. It doesn't matter where you are, it matters who you are and what kind of technologies that you have to move forward. My name is Gary Fowler. I'm the CEO of GSD Venture Studios and president. We help companies go global, and we'd love to hear from each and every one of you. I have to thank my entire GSD team for doing a great job in helping me put this together. And I thank the guests. Thank you very much. It's a great honor, and I'm humbled to have each, and, each of you on the show today. So I want to thank you for uh, tuning in and uh, look forward to our show. And um, next week, we're now on a weekly basis. So our next show will be next week, and we'll send an announcement out surely. Thanks guys. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Gary.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.
2: Thank you, Gary.